Good morning, Parshas Noyach. We're going to look at a very interesting discussion regarding what is known in Hebrew as Migdal Bavel. What's Migdal Bavel? Migdal Bavel is the Tower of Bavel. Now, the Tower of Bavel was a structure which we, I mean, traditionally we understand it to be a structure that represents the hubris of mankind and which needed to be destroyed. Although, actually, we're not ever told that it was destroyed and there's no evidence that it was destroyed. It seems to have been partially built and then the people who were building it were separated from each other so that it couldn't be completed and the world continued with this partially built tower that uh, somehow represented an aberration of God's mission for humanity and that's what we're going to look at today. It's in Perik Yud Aleph of Bereshis. Let's take a look at it. Uh, I know that we're going to be uh, sending out the source sheet. Um, Carly, if you can post that on the chat, uh, which is part of the Zoom, and then we'll take it from there. Parshas Noyach, let's look at Posuk Aleph. So it happened to be that everyone in on earth spoke one language and they spoke using they spoke using the same words. What does that mean? That wherever you went in the world and wherever if you would go into a store, whether it was in Zanzibar or if it was in Indonesia, you could go into the store and speak the same language and everybody would understand what you were talking about because the uh, international language, whatever it was, we assume it was Loshna Kodesh. It was the vernacular of every individual who spoke to every other individual on the planet. That's what the first Posik says in Perik Yud Aleph, in Parshas Noyach, in, in the uh, Book of Bereshis. Everyone on earth, they had the same language and the same words. I want to ask you a question. Before we actually um, go into the details of Migdal Bavel, I want to ask you a question, something for you to reflect on, something for you to consider. Is that a bad thing? Is it a bad thing if everyone speaks the same language? Is it a bad thing if I go to China and I can speak to a Chinaman and he can understand what I'm talking about? Is that such a bad thing? You know, they came out with a piece of software a couple of years ago, which is, I, I don't know exactly how it works, but you speak into the software, it's like a little machine, you speak into it, and then you press a button, and it then says in the language, whichever language you choose, perhaps of the country that you're visiting, exactly what it is that you've said. So, for example, if you visit Italy, and you want to say, hello, and how are you, and where can I find a pizza store in Italian, you say it into this little machine, you press a button, and then you go up to an Italian in Italy, and the machine says in Italian, I'm not going to pretend that I know what those words are, it says in Italian what it is that you've said into the machine so that you can communicate in Italian. I want to ask you a question. Why do you think that machine was created? Do you know why? Because it's important for people, for people to be able to communicate with each other. Therefore, if it's true to, true to say that at the dawn of human history, that people could communicate with each other in an identical language, is that such a bad thing? 
Now that's just a question for you to reflect on and to consider because I'm not going to answer it. We're going to get to that much later on in this year. Let's look at the second possibility. And they migrated from the east. So the people who lived wherever they lived were migrating eastward. And they came to a valley in the land of Shinar. And what did they do there? They created a settlement in this valley. Obviously, it was a valley that was very attractive. It was beautiful. Perhaps there was agriculture that was there was a potential for agriculture there. They settled in this valley in the land of Shinar. Now that they're there, says the third posuk, Vayoimru Ish They said to each other, Hover Nilbana Levenim. Come, let us make bricks. The Nisrafalisrefa, and we should put them into an oven. And they should cook, they should burn, so that they become very hard. And the levena, uh, these bricks, became le'oven, as hard as stone. And the bitumen served them as mortar. They now had the materials that one needs in order to build a building. That's what happened when they settled in the land of Shinar. A question just for you, just to consider. Again, I'm not going to answer the question, just something for you to think about. So far, have you heard anything bad? Has anything happened to alarm you in this story? Not really. A bunch of people who all speak the same language moved from one place to another and made bricks. Doesn't sound so bad, does it? Let's look at Posuk Dalat. Vayomru and they said, Hava nivne lonu ir umigdo. Let us build a city and a tower, and the head of the tower should be in the heavens, and we shall make a name for ourselves, in, um, so that we should not be scattered across the entire world. So there's an unspoken, unsaid thing here, which I want to kind of coax out of the posuk. That there was some kind of fear. Now that they found a place to settle. It's a wonderful place. It's in Eretz Shinar. It's a valley. It's a, a perfect place to live. It's the Beverly Hills of the ancient world. What a wonderful place we found. Let's build a city here. Let's build a wonderful place. Let's build a tower. And it's going to be a very tall tower. And let us make sure that we establish ourselves here in such a way that we shouldn't spread out across the globe. Again, does that sound like such a bad thing? I mean, if you're thinking about all the things that you could criticise about the sentence that I have just said, could you think of anything? doesn't sound so bad. These people had finally found some kind of security. They felt very confident in their location of residence. And now they wanted to secure even further that location of residence by building a city and a tower and and that they shouldn't have to go to another place they should stay where they are so this is the first moment in the story that we see that there's some some type of divine involvement in what was going on god 
descended to see the city. But es hamigdol, and he wanted to see the tower. Asher bonu that they had built, b'nei odom, the people who lived there. In other words, there was something about what was going on here in Eretz Shinar with the construction of a city and a tower that disturbed God from whatever else he was doing so that he should come and see what was going on and he should survey the situation. Says Posuk Vov, Vayoymer Hashem, and God said, doesn't say he was speaking to anyone in particular, he seems to have been talking to himself, Hein am echod achas, if as one people with one language, lechulam for all, v'zehachilam la'asois, this is how they have begun to act, mehem, then nothing that they may propose to do will be out of their reach. There is something about building a city and building a secure location that is going to be damaging to the future of humanity. And therefore God was expressing himself in this posuk, look at it. It's a fascinating posuk because this is the only reference that we really have that there was something wrong with what they had done. He seems to be saying that by securing their location and by, be, by creating this city and tower, they were doing something wrong. What was it that they were doing wrong? then nothing that they may propose to do will ever be out of their reach. That, my friends, if you're looking at this parsha, don't believe everything that you remember from your past, from your days in Jewish day school or in Hebrew school. Don't think that that has taught you everything that you need to know about the Ir and Migdal Bovel in Eretz Shinar. This is the key. This is the nub and the gist of the whole brouhaha in a nutshell. This is what we are talking about. That lo yibotzer mehem asher yozmu lasois. They will never have any problem doing anything that they want to do if they succeed in their mission, in their plan, in their project of building an ear and a migdol in Eretz Shinar in this bikot. Okay, let's go to Posuk Zion. We're going to come back to this. Hova, says God. Hova neirdov novla shom sefosom ashelo yishmu ish sefasre ehu. Let us, as a result, go down and confound their speech so that they will not understand what any of each other's speech means they won't understand what they are talking about. They're going to be in a situation where everything that anybody else says is going to be confusing and that they won't be able to understand it. Imagine you didn't have that piece of hardware software when you went to China or Italy or any other country and they spoke a different language and you speak English and you go there and you say, excuse me, how can I find my way to whatever place you're looking for? And the person looks for you and says, "Okay." What are you saying? They don't know what you're talking about. And you don't know how to speak Spanish or Italian or Swahili or Chinese or Arabic or whatever other language that this countryman speaks. You will be stuck and they will be stuck. That is the situation 
that God seems to have fostered. And now we're going to see the details. So God scattered them from there over the face of the entire earth, the whole planet, and they stopped building the city. The city and the Migdol remained uncompleted. It was incomplete. It was unfinished because God decided that that situation was a negative, was not something that he wanted for humankind. Says Posuk, um, uh, Posuk Tess, Alkain Koroshema Bovel. That is why this place is called Bovel, by the way, in, in English. What is the word in English? Babel. Babbling is an ununderstandable sound. When people are babbling, you don't know what they're talking about. The word Bovel is the source of the word Babel. Because there God confounded the speech of the entire world. And it was from this location in Eretz Shino, in the Bika, that God spread out humanity across the entire world. That is the story of Migdal Bovel. If I were to just read this text, I mean, I don't know what I would read into it. But the basic and literal translation, the literal understanding of this is that there seems to be something wrong with people being of one mind and one place and that somehow the security that was offered by the place in Eretz Shinar that they were going to build was um, destructive to the extent that God stepped in and made sure that it didn't happen. Let's look at Rashi. Rashi should always be our first stop. And let's look at Rashi. Let's see what Rashi says. Sofa Achas, one language. Says Rashi, and this is taken from Medrash Tanchuma. The Medrash Tanchuma in Noyach in Yutes. It says as follows. You know what that language was that they spoke? Loshoin HaKodesh. I've written on a number of occasions about this concept of Loshon HaKodesh. What's the language Loshon HaKodesh? By the way, what is modern Hebrew called in Hebrew? Ivrit. What's the language Ivris, by the way? It's an important question. Where does that word come from, Ivris, Hebrew? Where does it come from? So the language Ivrit, Ivris, actually, originally was not Loshon HaKodesh. It was a language that they spoke Le'ever Hayardain, across the River Jordan. That's what the Chazal tell us. There was a Loshon Ivris, which was not Hebrew. I'm not sure if it was Aramaic or some other ancient Semitic language, but there was a language that was spoken that was called Ivrit that was not Loshon HaKodesh. Now, I'm not going to get into the details here. It's perhaps the subject for a lecture or for a, an academic paper as to what ancient Hebrew looked like and how it related to other ancient Semitic languages. By the way, when I was at University College London, I studied Syriac which is a language that uses the same alphabet, Aleph Bet, as ancient Hebrew. Obviously, the letters are lit written differently. And there is a Bible called Peshitta. There is an ancient Bible, the scriptures that we are familiar with, that um, is called Peshitta, which is not entirely congruent with our Torah, with our Tanakh, which is called Peshitta, which is written in Syriac. A language which is sort of falls somewhere in between Aramaic 
and Hebrew. I studied it at university. There were a number of ancient Semitic languages that were um, very similar to Hebrew, but Rashi says the original language, the initial language, the primary language of the human race in its place of creation was the language that we call Loshon HaKodesh, the holy language, the language of the Torah, the language of the Jewish nation. That is the vernacular that was spoken by all ancient peoples, at least at the time of the Dor HaFloga that we are discussing right now. Continues Rashi, Udvarim Achodim. What does it mean, Udvarim Achodim? How did we translate it? So we said, Dvarim Achodim means, and, and, and English translation is never perfect. In fact, we can know one thing for sure, that English translation is always imperfect. What does Dvarim Achodim mean? We translated it to mean as the same words. But it's very strange. And Rashi, citing a Medrash, citing Chazal, goes into various understandings of the phrase Devorim Achodim. Says Rashi, they came with one plan. Devorim Achodim, the word Echod, one plan. What was the plan? He has no right, God has no right to select the heavenly regions exclusively for himself and therefore let us ascend to the skies and make war upon him what we need to do is we need to make war against god says rashi devarim achodim what does it mean devarim achodim means one plan they had one singular united plan that they wanted that by the way that's the most famous interpretation of what went wrong at Migdal Bovel is that they had this one plan that they had this we're not happy that he is in control of the Elyonim we would like to be in control we'll come back to that another explanation of the words Devarim Achodim the word Achodim being some type of um, uh, derivative of the word echod, which means one, words regarding God, devorim achodim, words about echod. In other words, they were speaking against the fact that God was the only God of the universe. We're going to come back to that as well. Another explanation is udvarim achodim, they spoke Devarim, not Achodim, but Chadim. What does the word Chadim mean? Cherev Chadar, we have in Parshas Bereshis. A sharp, outstretched, a deathly, deadly sword. So that they spoke Devarim Chadim, sharp words. What were the sharp words that they spoke? Says Rashi. If you look at Rashi, he says, Omru do you know what happens? Every thousand five hundred and six um, fifty-six years, so every thousand six hundred and fifty-six years, 
the sky collapses, it begins to rain, there's a terrible flood, because that's what happened in the past, and now it's going to happen again. They were concerned that there was going to be another mabul, and therefore Dvorim Chadim is Dvorim against Hashem, who is going to bring them another mabul. Therefore, let us make a city that will protect us from flooding, because we will be able to withstand any kind of flooding, any kind of water that will attempt to infiltrate our living quarters. That was the purpose of the Ir and the Migdal that they were going to build in Eretz Shinar in the Bikah. That's the idea of, that's the third interpretation of the Medrash here as quoted by Rashi. If you look at the original Medrash, let's look at the original Medrash. The Medrash is Medrash Rabbah. And uh, Rebbe Loza Oimer, Rebbe Loza says, Dvarim achodim, diburim achodim. So it's words of achodim that they spoke. Now, the Medrash makes an incredibly important observation, one that I think that we need to focus on, need to think about. The Doir HaMabel, if I were to ask you, why was there a flood, a great flood, and Noach had to be saved. Why was there a flood? You know the answer. The Dor HaMabel, the Dor of the flood, the generation of the flood, were evil, wicked people, right? They were involved in robbery. They were involved in murder. They were involved in social unrest of the worst kind. And therefore, God felt that they needed to be flushed out, flushed away, and that a new generation needed to emerge that was uh, spearheaded by Noach and his family. Very simple. The Torah says it. You don't need to look at the Medrash. You don't need to look at any explanations. It's all there in the text. However, says the Medrash. I just read you nine psukim in Perik Yud Aleph of Bereshis. And we looked at the story of the Dor HaFloga. We looked at the story of this generation that built the Tower of Bovel and that built the city that was in Eretz Shinar. I can't tell you specifically what they did wrong because the Posuk didn't tell you what they did wrong. Says the Medrash, what exactly and how are we meant to understand what they did wrong? What is it that they did that was punished? We're going to get, by the way, to this idea of punishment. Says the Medrash. In which case, the only way truly to understand this is that the Devarim, Achodim, that they spoke about must have been words that were challenging the omnipotence of God. They were challenging perhaps God's existence or God's control of the physical universe. That's what Dvarim Achodim means. They were speaking against the Echod. And they were also speaking the Al Echod Avram Oretz. Because Avram um, was alive already. This was after the Durham Mabel. Avraham had been born. And they were speaking about the chosen one, namely Abraham Avinu, who everybody knew was God's chosen individual. In other words, this is a story about, it would seem, heresy against God and Loshon horror against his chosen one. Amru, Avram Zeh Pardo Akara Hu Eino Moilid. 
and they were saying, you know, what type of person is Avram Avinu? If he's God's chosen person, how come he's never had children? What type of person is he? He obviously can't be a chosen person if God hasn't given him children. What did they say against God? It's not enough that he took for himself the um, heavenly spheres and only gave us the the um, uh, spheres of the physical universe. Let us build in our sphere, the sphere that he has given us. By the way, this is the great battle between the physical, material world and the spiritual world, is that we always would like our world, our understandable, scientifically explainable world to be superior to the spiritual world. The spiritual world, ah, that doesn't exist. We can't explain it. There's no scientific scientific proof for it. There's no experiments that we can do in a laboratory that will possibly that could possibly prove its existence. The only thing that matters is the physical world. Said the Deir HaFlogger, let us build a tower. And on top of that tower, let us put a an idol. And in the idol's hand will be a mighty sword. And that sword shall be an expression of the fact that we are in charge here on this earth and God has no role to play. That God gave us this world, we are in charge he is his sphere and we have ours. As if the um, idol atop the migdal, atop the tower, is doing battle with God. Another explanation, says the Medrash. This is a very interesting explanation and we'll go into greater detail on it. In a few moments, it was the fact that they wanted to unite every human being on the planet into one collective body. This was the original ideal of communism. This was an idea that everybody can be equal. Everybody is together. We are all um, as uh, important or as unimportant as each other. We all own as much as everyone else. We all don't own as much as everyone else. We are the same as anybody else on the planet. And finally, the Medrash says, They said sharp things. What were they? Once every 1,656 years, they wanted to create protective dikes, uh, a city that would be protected by some type of uh, protective element that would uh, make sure that they wouldn't drown in a mubble that they assumed would be happening anytime soon. The Echad Min Hamarav, they wanted to make one in the north, one in the south, one in the west. And this one on the east. In other words, they would like to protect themselves against. Um, uh, they, they use to use levees to protect themselves against a flood that they assumed would come. Four 
explanations in the Medrash as to what it was that the Dor HaFloga did wrong, although, as I've noted already, the Psukim don't seem to support this idea. Let's look um, and deal with that in greater detail. Let's look at the fourth uh, um, the fourth source in our source sheet on page one of our source sheet um, it's a Gemara in Sanhedrin Daf Kuf Tes Omad Aleph Oma Rabbi Yirmiya Bar Eloza Rabbi Yirmiya Bar Eloza is obviously very puzzled and a little bit perturbed disturbed by the story of the Migdal Bovel Nech Sholosh Kitois he says actually Humanity split itself up into three separate groups. Achas one of the groups said, Nale Veneshev Shom. So he looks at the Psukim and he sees three different elements combined into these into these Psukim, which as you know, as you can see, were very summarized. The story is not given in any great detail. He is trying to now draw detail out of um, references which are not clear. And the first thing is, is that he says that there was one group that says, let us go up and let us sit there. Let us dwell there. In other words, let us dwell in heaven. One of the intentions here was for humanity to become at the same level as God. The Ahasimeris, another group of the three groups said, I don't want to go to heaven because I want to be close to God. I'd like to go to heaven to undo and undermine God. I would like to worship idols. I would like to create a, a pagan gods that will challenge God. So that was another group of the three groups that are, are cited by Rabbi Yirmiya, Bar-Eloz and the Gemara and Sanhedrin. And finally, the Achas Meris, the third group said, let us go and make battle. Let's do battle with God. Let's go to war with God. Let us destroy him. Let us vanquish him. Let us make sure that God no longer exists. And now we have Reb Nosson. Reb Nosson says, Kulam l'shem niskavnu. Ultimately, each of these three are elements of Avodah of pagan worship. Whether it is you want to rise up and live together with God, or you would like to have... Uh, idols alongside God or you want to vanquish God it all boils down to the same thing you don't believe in an omnipotent all-powerful God that is the point that is what the sin of the Doha Flogger was that they didn't believe in God and that is why God came and at least at this stage I'm going to use the word punish them and wouldn't allow them to continue in their efforts to build the ear and the migdal that we have been discussing. Let's look at a Barbanel. This is source number five in your source sheet. He is going to ask all of the questions that are probably floating either at the back of your mind or possibly even at the forefront of your mind. According to those who believe, that the intention of the Dor HaFlogger was to go into battle with God. Let me tell you, that makes no sense whatsoever. How is it possible? You know what we say, you can't get two people to agree on the day of the week. Are you going to get all of humanity to agree on one idea and one ideal? It's not possible! doesn't matter how many people there were, if there were 100,000, a million, 10 million, or 100 billion. 
You can never get people to agree, everyone to agree. It sounds like everyone was agreeing to something. How would you have done that? How is it even possible to get everybody to agree to this one idea that we should go into battle with God? You know that we are in the midst here in the United States of an election. Now, I don't know who's going to win. And truthfully, it's not relevant to this particular point that I would like to make. What we know is that there's a right wing and a left wing. And of course, there's a center. And if you take a broad swathe of the population, you'll discover that roughly half the population supports right wing and roughly half the population supports left wing. And it's a bit of a spread in the left from the radical left to the middle left. And it's a bit of a, um, a spread on the right from the radical right to the center right. But ultimately, we know that that is the spread from all the way to the far from the far right to the far left and somewhere in the middle is the center and the people at the center whether they are left wing so-called or right wing basically hold the same thing the only difference between those in the center is with whom they affiliate those in the center who are on the left of center affiliate with the people who are the far left of center those in the middle who are on the right will affiliate with those who are on the far right but ultimately the difference between those on the left center and those on the right center is very, very similar. What am I telling you? There is no way whatsoever that we can ever get human beings to agree on anything in the same way. So that means when it comes to matters of policy or matters even of morality or matters of how one should conduct oneself in society, there are those who are liberal progressives and there are those who are extremely conservative and it's only as a result of the spread that you have roughly half the population who vote on the right and roughly half the population who vote on the left. It makes perfect sense that someone who is an average somebody in the middle usually wins. I'm not sure that that's currently the case in the political climate that we are living through at the moment. But ultimately, you will see, and I don't know the exact numbers, that whoever wins uh, the election will be just over 50%, and whoever doesn't win the election will be just under 50%. Why? Because roughly half the country will support the person on the right or left, and roughly half the country will support uh, the person who's on the left or right. That's the way the system works. Says Abarbanel, to suggest that the Dora Floga had somehow surpassed this natural human instinct to have a different opinion than everyone else makes no sense whatsoever. To suggest that everybody agreed that they would go in one particular direction doesn't make any sense sense. He makes two points here. The first is we actually know of people who would have disagreed with the general consensus as to how to conduct themselves in this particular situation. We know that Noach was alive. We know that his children were alive. We know that Avram Avinu was alive. None of those people who were, one would assume, significant leadership characters would have agreed to a 
uniform, unified opinion as to what should happen in Migdal Bovel. In which case, why would they have been punished? Let them do whatever they like. Um, as as uh, Ababranel expresses it, Let he who sits in heaven laugh at them. Surely he would have found all of this extremely humorous, risible, nonsensical and pathetic. He wouldn't have taken it seriously to the extent that he should have intervened. And therefore, the explanations of this united idea doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And as, as to the person who says that they, um, that they were heret- heretics, that they denied the existence of God, it makes no sense either. If you're going to suggest that their sin was heresy, how exactly is there a punishment that uh, punishes heresy by changing your language that you can't understand your next door neighbor? Is that a punishment for heresy? They should have been entirely annihilated and exterminated by God. If indeed this was such a grave sin, the sin of heresy, God denial, they should have been obliterated from the earth. But that's not the punishment, as it were, that they received. They received a punishment. Is it really a punishment? That now one person spoke Italian, another person spoke Spanish, another person spoke French, another one spoke Swahili, and another person spoke whatever language we can mention. Is that really a punishment? Doesn't sound like a punishment to me. Gam Masha What about those who say that the reason that they built the ear and the migdal or the levies, the dikes, that the reason they built them was to save themselves from the Mehamabal? If because they were concerned that it would come again to earth and destroy them. Um uh, so Kvar Tofas Aleem Avram Ibn Ezra. Avram Ibn Ezra actually challenges this. Because all of these people were descended from Noach and his children, and they all knew that God had made a covenant that there would never be a Mabel again. So why were they making this calculation about 1656 years? And the Mabel is going to happen again. What are you talking about? The Mabel's never going to happen again. Why would it happen again? It doesn't make any sense that they would have been concerned that the Mabel was going to take place. They should have completely ignored um, the anniversary, as it were, or the potential date significance of a Mabel occurring because Noah would have told them, no, guys. The Mabel's never happening again. I entered into a covenant with God that he will never again destroy the earth by using a Mabel. Don't build these levees. You're wasting your time. Don't build a Migdal that you can all stand at the top of. You are wasting your time. There will never be another Mabel. These are the questions posed by Barbanel. Let's look at the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra does um, reference the idea of the dispersion and the confusion of languages as a punishment. They weren't punished in the sense that they were punished by being killed or something dreadful happened to them. They were spread over the entire globe. 
Kofach machshavosam lotzulios b'mokam echad. And that was as a, re- a result of the fact that they all wanted to be in one place. And now they couldn't be in one place. That in itself was a punishment. We all wanted to live in one place. For example, if everybody wants to live in Los Angeles or Jerusalem or London or New York or Sydney or wherever it is that they want to live. And suddenly, for some reason, none of the people that want to live together can live in that one same place. One of them lives in Sydney, another one lives in London, another in Jerusalem, another in New York and another in Los Angeles. They're all spread across the globe. It's a form of punishment. It's not a punishment, but it's a form of sort of negative life situation. That's what happened, said Rabbi Avram Ibn Ezra. And the reason for this was because God realized that humanity cannot live in one place. They have to live in multiple places. Because it says in Bereshis, in Perik Tes, Posuk Aleph, that they need to fill the land. That the humanity needs to fill the earth. If they all live in one place, they're all concentrated in one place. That's not going to be very environmentally friendly. It's not a positive thing. We need to live in multiple locations. That is what is expected of humanity. And that's what's good for the earth. Vehem divrei Moshe. And this is what Moshe said as well. Vehem yodu machshoves Hashem. And they didn't know that that's what God wanted, which is why they went in another direction. They all wanted to live together and they all wanted to live in the same place. And God made it happen that they didn't live in the same place. So it's not a punishment. It was a reaction to their expressed intent. They said they wanted to be in one place and speak one language. Says God, no, you won't speak one language and you won't live in one place. That's not healthy we need to live in multiple locations. That is the destiny of humankind. Says Abarbanel. Ibn Ezra's explanation doesn't make sense. Hadas It's a very nice explanation, but it doesn't seem to chime with that which the Torah actually says. Because before that, from the day they left the ark, Noah's ark, they were all gathered together in one place and they weren't spread out across the world it's a wonderful explanation had it happened immediately after Noach had come out of the Teva and at that stage God would have spread the nations as it were the descendants of Noach across the world but that's not what happened God did not spread them out across the world. And he didn't confuse their languages by making them speak a different language than their friends. The only indication that this that seemed that seems to have resulted in this, the trigger, as it were, was the fact that they built the city, the Samigdal, and the tower. Had it been God's intention that they should live across the entire globe via Maluha and fill it up? Um, in the fullness of time since the uh, episode of the flood when Noah had been saved in, saved in the Teva, and in the fullness, as it were, of population. In the fact that population had increased, it should have happened in and of itself. 
Yom of Akedva v'tzafayin of Anegba, that humanity should have spread across the globe. Without requiring God to intervene and confusing and changing up their language. And this entire episode, which was quite disruptive, etc. In other words, the Ibn Ezra's explanation is a wonderful explanation. But he can't or doesn't seemingly explain why it should be that this had not happened previously and it was only triggered when they decided to build the ear and when they decided to build the Migdal. Let's look at the run. And the run and the Hamigdavar the Nitziv are really going to tie this whole issue up for us so that we have a much deeper understanding of the Doir HaFloga and of the punishment, as it were, of what it was that God did and why he did it. It would appear that the Doha Flogger had reached the conclusion that we can't have multiple leaders, we can only have one leader and everybody has to um, be subjugated to his direct rule and that they shouldn't be divided into each and every one of their kingdoms or fiefdoms or countries or dukedoms or whatever you want to call it in, in, in all the different eras of human history we've had different ways of describing um, areas over which particular individuals or groups have power it would appear that the Doha Flogger wanted to unite themselves together into one group under one individual. It was for that reason, this is a hint, says the Ran, as to what was going on. They agreed that they should build one city over which there would be a tall tower. One tall, by the way, not this wasn't skyscrapers. This was one skyscraper. It was one migdal that would rise above everything else that was built in that city. As tall as it was possible for a building to be in these ancient times. And the person who would live in there would be worthy of ruling over the entire, as it were, nether region. The entire world, physical universe. He would have the biggest, tallest, most impressive um, construction, building, edifice. He would be able to re- rule over the entire physical world. And to the extent that anyone who would see this tower, they would be cloaked in fear when they would see because they would know the incredible raw power that was that was the potential of the person who inhabited that tower he would see it from a father says the ran they didn't sin they just made a grave error it was a sociological error this was a mistake of huge proportions of, of and they had no understanding that they were making a mistake only god realized if he allowed humanity to go in this direction it would self-destruct in one generation it wouldn't be possible for your humanity to proceed on this basis 
He had to intervene in order to prevent this disaster from occurring. That's what the run says. It's incredible interpretation. It's not a punishment. God was saving humanity by not allowing it to fall under the influence of one single individual who lived in this powerful looking edifice, Migdal Bovel. Yorad he wanted to make sure that these evil people wouldn't be able to assert their influence over humanity and therefore he intervened personally. Don't forget this was the dawn of human history. At that stage God needed to intervene. Why? Because humanity hadn't quite worked out all the methods by which it could survive and out-survive itself and go through crisis after crisis and difficulty and challenge. How could, how could humanity survive? By being robustly independent, not by being under the control of one individual, not by being under the control of somebody who exerted their power over humanity. That is not the way humanity survives. The imleis ata ein ra, omnam hakinus hoyora lohem varala oilom. And even if at that particular moment in history it wasn't bad, had they lived in the city and had the tower in which their leader would live, ultimately it would pr- prove to be a grave disaster for humanity. Let us uh, continue. Let us look at the. Um, the Hamegdova, how he interprets this run. He doesn't mention the run, but he's taking this idea. He's running with this ball. An incredible idea. What was their sin? That they created fear over the congregation, over the community, over humanity. They wanted everybody to be of one mind. You cannot think this was an Orwellian plan. George Orwell could not have written this better. What the Deir HaFlogger wanted to do, or the people who were leading the Deir HaFlogger wanted to do, was to create a society, an authoritarian, totalitarian society, where nobody could think for themselves and everybody would fall under the auspices, under the power of those who were in control. And they, in fact, would kill anybody who would disagree with them. This was the ultimate form of authoritarianism. An indication of that was the fact that Avraham Avinu was sent, was uh, sentenced to be burnt alive because he wouldn't agree to the idolatrous practices of Nimrod, the king in the in the town, the city, the country in which he lived. What was the uh, what was the punishment for that? He was going to be burnt alive. That type of authoritarianism is destructive and is. Um, completely and utterly against anything that God wants. That was the sin, that was the Avera, the hate of the Deir HaFlogger. Why would they care if anybody would want to go and 
emigrate to another country. You know, if you recall, those of you who are old enough will recall that the Soviet Union and Winston Churchill declared that an iron curtain had come down across Europe. You know how that was evident? That anybody who wanted to leave the Soviet Union didn't have the right to do so. They didn't, weren't given passports, they weren't given visas. And we know from the Jewish, in the Jewish community from the stories of the refuseniks, those who applied to emigrate to Eretz Yisrael, to Israel, in the late 60s and early 70s, that they were treated as refuseniks. They were treated as people who were uh, um, rebels against the Soviet state. But they weren't allowed out of the country. They were kept prisoners. You weren't allowed to leave, says the Natsiv. Do you know what the sin, the hate of the Durha Flogger was? That nobody was allowed to leave. What about somebody wants to take a risk? I don't want to live in a city with a tower. I want to take my chances. I want to live out there. I want to go and conquer the prairies. I want to go out west and I want to live in a different location. No, you're not allowed. You must live in the city. You must live in a place in which we have power over you. And this is what it means when we say that they had Dvarim Achodim. They couldn't, you know what, if anybody who has ever spoken to somebody who lived in Russia knows that nobody was allowed to speak their mind. Everybody had to say exactly the same thing. You weren't allowed to say that you disagreed with the government. Can you imagine that? You would be arrested. The KGB would come into your house and they'd throw you into jail and possibly put you on trial and send you into exile in Siberia, into a gulag. Why? Because you had the audacity not to speak dvarim achodim, not to speak exactly what everybody else was saying. You had your own mind. How dare you disagree with that which other people in the state are saying, what the state believes. You have no right to have your own opinion. But we know that no two people think exactly the same way. Everybody goes through their own experiences, they have their own minds, they have their own thoughts, their own beliefs, their own views, the way they think. The reason why nobody was allowed to leave, why they were going to build a city with a tower that was ominously hovering over the entire city was so that they, everybody, that they knew everybody would be thinking in one mind. Everybody would agree and uh, totally uh, commit themselves to one ideology. That's what the sin of the Dor HaFloga was, says the Natsiv. They guarded the city that nobody would be able to leave it. And anybody who disagreed with the collective view, the agreed upon, as it were, view of everybody, um, uh, everybody else, what the state required you to think, anybody who thought differently was going to be burnt to death, was going to be executed, bestrefer. Kasha Osul Avramavinu, as would have happened to Avramavinu had he not been saved from the Kibshon Aish in the story with Nimrod that we see in the Medrash. Do you know what the Dvarim Achodim were? That everybody agreed that anybody who disagreed with them would be murdered. 
That is the world that we should all avoid. We are all entitled to our own opinion. By the way, that means that our opinion may be valuable, but so is everybody else's. And we may disagree profoundly with what anybody else says, and we may express our opinion, but we must allow other people to have an opinion. We must allow other people to believe things that we don't believe, even if we think that they are completely wrong. The hate of the Doha Flogger was it removed freedoms from the humanity, from humanity. It removed freedoms from the general population. Nobody was allowed to think what they wanted to think. They had to think what they were told to think. That is not the way humanity is expected to behave. To the extent that God himself intervened, God himself stepped in, gave everybody a different language, a different country, a different location, a different culture. You're all different. You're not all the same. As we know, we are all individuals. We are all separated from each other in the fact that we have the right to think differently from everybody else. And we are not part of the Doir Hafloga. We are descendants of Avram Havinu, who challenged the system, who was willing to risk his life to say something that was different than the culture in which he lived. We'll leave it here for today.